Hi there, Carling here. Whether this is your first episode of this podcast you're listening to, or you're working backwards from the more recent ones, these earliest episodes require a bit of patience, humor, and understanding. These episodes are a time machine back to when I had no idea what I was doing in editing, sound quality, or production. And there were two hosts. We were full of passion, laughter, and a whole lot of trial and error. But here's the thing. These episodes are the essence of my humble beginnings, and I'm hoping that's part of the charm. The raw authenticity that shaped the foundation of this podcast. Although this podcast has evolved and my interview skills and audio quality have vastly improved, the heart and soul of these episodes remain timeless. The stories I shared back then, they still hold significance and are worth hearing. These episodes make me appreciate how far I've come, so... Thank you in advance for your patience and enjoy. Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay and I'm joined by my co-host and real life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a lighthearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. We cannot transfer her by ground ambulance. Stars needs to land on the highway. This needs to happen now. It is almost midnight, but I, it's Saturday. I am a sleepy bear right Live now. Live a little. Live <laughs> loose. I don't go to bed until midnight every night. Yeah, so it's like not quite your bedtime. I'm usually asleep before 11. I'm usually snugged into my bed watching my stories. Well, I mean, okay, I'm yawning right now, <laughs> but you made me such a delicious coffee earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It was so good. You had coffee and espresso. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You At like like 4.30. Good to go. Good to go. Hello, Michelle. Oh, hey, girl. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you? All right. I'm all right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just chilling. How was your week? Good. Every time you ask me that, I'm like, what did I do this week? I know. It's like the first time I've ever asked you how your week was. (laughs) (laughs) I'm confused. What? (laughs) Um, My week was good. I worked part of it. Uh, I had to take my daughter to the doctor for a dermatology appointment. What did they do? Trigger warning. Well, squeamish if you guys are squeamish. Um, She has a mole on her, she had a mole on her face and it was changing and getting bigger and everything. So the dermatologist said that she wanted to do a biopsy. And in my mind, a biopsy was like, I literally thought she was going to take like a fleck of it. Yeah. Just a little pinch. She took the whole thing off. Lord. So she gave Claire, who's four, a needle yeah, uh, to freeze the area. So that hurt her, obviously. She was yeah. crying. But then, yeah, after it froze, she just cut it off. With a razor. With a razor. And you watched. I did. It was like, it's like a train. It was like, yeah, it was like a thing. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't look away. And then, yeah, she had to use a little zapper thing to um, like cauterize it to make sure that her face would stop bleeding. Ugh. I know. But she's fine. Uh, we're, we'll get the results of it soon. The doctor's not really worried. She says melanoma in kids is quite rare. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm sure everything will be fine. But oh. the funny thing is, is that I haven't taken just one child anywhere in forever. Yeah. What was that like? It was weird, but nice. Like yeah. her and I like chatted in the car the whole way there. And she told me her like silly things and I had to sneak her out of daycare. So they had to like distract Jude and sneak her out to me. And then he realized she was gone. So then one of the teachers said that she was just like helping in the other room. <gasps> Oh, <laughs> and he was my. fine. But then when we picked him up, he was like, I didn't know you were in the other room helping. And I was like, she wasn't. Oh. Because <laughs> I, you know, she, yeah. I knew she was going to say, she was just a doctor and I didn't want to lie to him. But yeah. we were just like, at the time, we just wanted to make sure he didn't get upset. He was totally fine. He didn't care. But it was just funny. Because um, they're twins and they're buds. And, yeah. You know. Do you want to tell everybody what you did yesterday? On the playground? Oh, yeah. He fell asleep outside. <laughs> like a little weirdo. The sun was in his eyes, I guess. So he was like laying down trying to hide from the sun and he fell asleep for 20 minutes outside like, in the snow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like not unattended. It was like the yard of yeah, the daycare. But yeah. like. But he was just like asleep in the snow. What a funny guy. I know. He's so funny. Um, Anyways, how was your week? <laughs> I think it was fine. Yeah. I don't know. I worked, well, I'm down to a 32-hour work week mm-hmm. to save the company money. Mm-hmm. Not by choice, but <laughs> that made hero, it sound apparently. like I was, <laughs> not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> I'm just going to donate my salary back to the company, yeah. you know. Um, and we so, got to hang out on Tuesday. Yeah, so I took Tuesdays it. off because you're off Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it was just like a nice day. Yeah, honestly, I can't think of what went on in my week. You and I recorded a Patreon episode on Wednesday night. Yes, we did. No, on Tuesday, Tuesday. afternoon. Yeah, yeah. God. Anyway, but we work's, don't know what day yeah, is work's been busy enough. They're um they're cross training me mm-hmm. to be a duty manager. Duty. <laughs> I was like, I understand. <laughs> of course. And so because we're like light on staff uh-huh. because we're not open. All the staff that are remaining have to, like, cross-train on things. Let me tell you. Tell me. I'm going to have to be the duty manager, which means I'm going to work, like, a couple of shifts a month where I'm in charge. Oh, my. And, like, fine, whatever. Like, I can do that. The thing that scares me is that they – I have to know where all the fire extinguishers are. Okay. And so the guy training me took me down to a basement and then down to another basement. Carling. That was not part of the training. What happened in the basement, Carling? No, listen. And so he's like, yeah, this is where like all the controls for the pool are and all the chemicals. And there, you need to know that there's two fire extinguishers here and here. Okay. And then I looked above me and I was like, what is this? And it was like this bulbous thing in the ceiling. And he's like, well, that's the bottom of the pool. We're, (gasps) We're under the pool right now. What? And I was like, no, sir, I need to leave this space right now. No. Like, if there was a crack. <gasps> so you're like, it, there's a fire, and you're like, I can't, I can't go down there. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> tell me the exact situation where I will need to know how to get down here. Oh, my gosh. And he was like, well, if somebody comes to inspect the fire extinguishers, mm-hmm. you need to know. Or if there's an alarm going off and the fire, pe- fire people show up. Fire the people. fire people? The fire folk <laughs> show up. <laughs> Um, and then also in one of our arenas, there's a, there's a light, there's a blue light bulb the size of like 
I don't know, the diameter of a coffee cup. Okay. And, and, um, he's like, if there's, if this ever lights up, you need to evacuate the building. (gasps) And I'm like, I'm sorry. It all depends on one light? Well, so apparently there's an alarm that'll go off. Okay. And it's all the chemicals that keep the, like, I don't know, the ice, icy, and it's something to do with the arena. So, like... Your knowledge on sports (laughs) since you've gotten this new job is just outstanding. Outstanding. It is. Um... So if an alarm goes off, I have to run over to the arena to see if this light is on. And if it's on, we need to get out. Because what is it? Just like a chemical. Like an ammonia thing. Like we'd all die if we breathed it in. Oh my gosh. Like I just feel very unsure. It's like you went to get a job just like at a rec center thinking like. Yeah. Like sports, activities, events. Yeah. And now I have to monitor for a light. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's fun. And if I have to ban someone, mm. if there's some shenanigans, shenanigans going on, oh my God. tomfoolery. It would be my dream to ban someone from somewhere for being Well, I guess terrible. we can do like three-month bans. Okay. And there's a form we have to fill out. And then the guy said, um, the guy training me said, if you can, get a picture of them holding it. And I'm like, how many people have caused a ruckus? And you've Could you said, just hold this for a second? And, and like, look at the camera. And he said, yeah, people do it. Oh, that's funny. So I don't know. Stay tuned. You know what's so funny is um, every time I go to get my groceries at Walmart in the pickup, there's usually one uh, loser who parks in the pickup spot who's Ugh. not picking up groceries and they're just in the store. The worst. And I get so mad. Yeah. And then they come out with like their cart and I literally stare them down the entire yeah. time. I want I want my job to be <laughs> the parking lot monitor. The parking lot duty manager. Yeah. So if people park there and they get out of their car, I'll be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Where are you going? You need to stay in your car if you're in this spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if not, GTFO. Mm-hmm. I would love that job. Listen, Any job where I could tell somebody that they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. No, I think you'd be very good at it. But like, I wanted to be the person at the blood lab. Like, you know, when people walk in yeah. and they just stand there like they don't know what they're doing yeah. they've never been in a building before <laughs> or they go straight to the person at the desk and you're yeah. like there is a sign yeah it tells you what to do mm-hmm. if you booked an appointment you check your name off yeah or you grab a little number yeah so my job i wanted my job to be the person to tell them what to do as soon as they walked in the door because I would sit in the blood lab, like, especially when I was pregnant, yeah. and get so mad at the people oh that just walked God. up to the desk. I want this for you. But, so they never had a person like that. Literally, the next time I went to the blood lab, after this time that I was super mad, they had a person there. Oh, my God. Like, Somebody complained about you. Probably. They're like, there's this angry woman. Yeah. I never said anything. No, but, like, it was tell. all over my face. Yeah. I would get so mad. Yeah. I would get so mad. But anyways, I'm sort of brain dead this week. Burp. Burp, burp. I painted my room. Yeah. And I rearranged some furniture and mm-hmm. I created a really lovely space for myself. I love it. Okay. So we want to talk about our Patreon because yeah. we uh, launched our merch. If you haven't seen, we have a website, we have a merch line. Um, and if you sign up for our Patreon or you're an active member on our Patreon on February 5th, yep. then your name will be entered into a draw so you can pick anything from our shop. 
that we will send to you. I know. How wild is that? I know. That's so exciting. Yeah. So if you've been thinking about joining Patreon, if you're first time listening and you're like, I'm sorry, what's a Patreon? Yeah. It's a monthly subscription and another way to support us. Mm -hmm. And as a thank you or like, you know, for paying the subscription, you get access to two bonus episodes per month. And these episodes are like our own trauma, Mm -hmm. a little bit juicier. We've got guests that wanted to share their story but didn't want it to be too public. So it goes on the Patreon. It's a safer space. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So if you sign up, you get access to over 18 or 19 bonus episodes. I think no, we were over in, I 22. Think we're 20, 20 something, yeah. Whoa. I know. So over 20 bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. And there we also have a little thing where if you're a Patreon for three consecutive months, Patreon will send you like a little gift with our branding on yeah, it. Yeah, like a little print. Yeah, so you get a little print and then you're also entered into the draw. I don't know, just some good stuff. I think like... For me, I binge podcasts. Yeah. And then I'm like, crap, I need more of yeah. this podcast and I'm not going to get one until next week or whatever. Yeah. So to have a Patreon as a backup to be able to like just yeah. keep listening just get that to more extra. episodes. Um, yeah. It's great. We so check it out. on there. Yeah. So you can either go to um, I did not sign up for this dot CA or you can go to patreon.com slash I did not sign up for this. Check us out. Yeah. Um, today's episode. Yeah. Holy moly. Oh my gosh. You guys, we're talking to Brie and she was in a horrific car accident <sighs> just this past year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Her oh, I do mention amazing. it. I do mention it in the episode. Mm. There's some background noise in this episode because literally they were trying to hurry up and finish redoing their floors because she's now, um, confined to a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And so... The type of flooring they had wasn't, she wasn't able to move freely through her house. So they had hoped to be done before we recorded, but there is periodic background noise. Yeah. No one's getting shot. No. Just nails into a floorboard. (laughs) So just excuse that, but that's why that sound is there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But anyway, let's talk to Brie. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, Bree. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for reaching out. You, you're you in Winnipeg, right? I'm from a smaller town outside of Winnipeg, so I'm from Mitchell, Manitoba. Oh, I'm from, I was born in Winnipeg and I lived in Dauphin and Brandon. We just moved here. My fiance and I bought a house here about two years ago, but I'm originally from a small little French town called Le Brokery, Manitoba. Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. So how far from Winnipeg is that? Um, About, I think it's about like 50 minutes. Oh, okay. So like it's a ways away. Yeah. Wow. And do you like living in the small, the town that you're in now? I do. I, I always thought that my first house I was going to buy out in the country in the middle of nowhere. That's just how I grew up. And that's how I thought I was going to live out the rest of my days. And then Ryan actually grew up in this community and he loves it here and I love him. So if he says it's a good community, I trusted him. And then we found this house and the lady who had it before has this immaculate yard. It's completely fenced in. It's just, it was a perfect starter home for us. And I've turned a house into a home and now I love it here. Oh, that's awesome. Um, We should say, we should point out you're getting your floors redone. So we might, I just heard the little like air gun. So we'll just... 
it so that if people hear it, that's what it is. Nobody's like shooting. Nobody's getting yes. shot at. <laughs> well, trying to make my house accessible right now. Yeah. Oh, oh my god! Is that yeah. why you're redoing your floors? Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, this seems like a good opportunity. Then why don't we get into it? Can you start by introducing yourself, like who you are, what you do? How old you are, a little bit about you. So my name is Bree and I'm 27 years old. I am a new nurse. I graduated last year. I had been working full time. I almost made a full year um, two day or two weeks before my accident. So on August oh. 17th of this year, I was in a horrific car crash that really just changed my life in a matter of seconds. So I am... Oh my God. It went from being a full-time active nurse, very active in my community and my family, and now I am wheelchair-bound without the use of my legs. So that is... Wow. What kind of nursing were you doing? So I do rural nursing. So I work I work about an hour away from home in this little community hospital out in Beaujolais, Manitoba, and they are just the most amazing group of people I could have ever hoped to work with. I do a little oh. bit of everything out there. So we do... Um, long-term care we do palliative care we have an emergency room we have acute care and we kind of do it all we are also a rehab center so in any given day I could be working either in long-term care I can be in the ER I can do acute care um I really have gravitated toward ER I really thought I was gonna be in a, a pediatric nurse one day I love kids and that's what I thought my passion was until I got to work in the ER a little bit and that's where I found a home I think that's I love oh, the wow. hustle and bustle in that. And I also, it's strange, but I also really love palliative care. I love community, like, I love the connections I make with the family and just helping them through that difficult time. And I really actually love that. So I'm glad that I'm able to do all aspects of nursing in those small town hospitals. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, because I think in the bigger cities, you probably end up a little bit more siloed, like into your whatever you know, area that you want to go into. Right. Yeah. You'd be more like confined to like, either you'd be like a labor and delivery nurse, an ER nurse. Yeah. You're very like set up that way in the city. So I think I like, I did my education in Alberta and it was like that there too. Like you kind of just picked where you want to go and that's where you went after. But when I came back to Manitoba, um, start working, I realized that you got to do everything. So it's been being a new nurse. It's been really great for learning and really good for my experience. Nice. That's amazing. I've always said that nursing is just, you've, you've got to be a special type of person to be a nurse. I mean, it's just incredible what nurses have to do. And I've had five kids. So knowing what nurses do from that aspect is just like, holy cow. Like I can't, I can't imagine having that job. I think it's busy. I, well, I dreamed of this my whole life. I, there's pictures of me at my granny's house when I was like five and six with my cousins playing nurse and doctor. And we made IV bottles out of water bottle with red food coloring. And that was <laughs> homemade blood transfusions. And oh my gosh, just something that <laughs> I, like, either her daughter is uh, crazy or she's going to be a nurse when she grows up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think there was a little bit of concern for a little while, but it passed quickly. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's so funny. Um, so can you tell us uh, about your accident? Sure. So I was on my way home from a 12 hour night shift. Um, I am, like I said before, I'm an hour away from home and I was about 10 minutes away from being home and I was super excited. I had been daydreaming my whole time on my way home about getting back into bed, showering and just getting cozy and sleeping off that night shift. And that 10 minutes really never came for me. I came up to a median in the highway 
and I noticed a large white pickup truck coming through the median way too quickly to be stopping or slowing down. And I just prayed for that split second that he'd be turning into the left-hand lane. And keep in mind, this all happened in a matter, I think it was like three seconds. And by the time I realized he wasn't turning, I was slamming into the side of him going highway speeds. So I T-boned him going over 100 kilometers an hour. And the black box um, in my car showed that I only had a um, second and a half to take my foot off the accelerator before the collision happened before my airbags deployed. So I didn't even have time oh my to God. step on my brakes. I didn't have time to even try to save myself. And I slammed into the side of him and it kind of just ripped off the front of my car. Everything got pushed <gasps> into me um, and my car like spun around and I never lost consciousness through the entire accident. I don't know if it was the adrenaline and the shock that kept my body lucid, but I remember absolutely everything down to the smell in the inside of my car. After, oh my gosh. Yeah. After impact, I just, I was, I, I couldn't believe what just happened. I quickly like ran my hand over my face and I realized my face wasn't bleeding. My head wasn't bleeding. I knew who I was. I knew what just happened. So I didn't, I knew I didn't have a brain injury. So I thought maybe it's not as bad, but instantly the pain in my back took over and I realized how bad this pain was. It was just suffocating me. And my car was full of smoke and I thought my car was on fire because I didn't know when airbags deployed that it kind of lets off like a, uh, powder in the vehicle and the explosion kind of makes um, a fiery kind of smell and so I was panicking I reached to my driver's side door to get out of the vehicle and I realized then where where the door was and where my dash was and I realized then how far everything had been pushed back and then I realized that my left leg was actually behind me so I grabbed my leg and I shoved it down and still thinking my car was on fire I reached for the or the passenger door and when I did that, the pain in my back just, it like crippled me. I couldn't even catch my breath and I just started screaming. And I knew that I was in bad shape, but I also thought I need to get the hell out of this car because if it's on fire, then that's it. I don't know if people no. were around. It was early in the morning. I was coming through the town of St. Anne, but I wasn't sure if anyone had seen the crash. So I wanted to get out of there. Oh no! Wow, and so That's awful. Did the se- the semi stopped? Obviously, uh, it was a pickup truck, but I cr- like, oh, I great. caved it in. I hit it so hard, I knocked it off its wheelbase and like literally folded it like in half. Like it was, it came to a dead stop. There was, I was thankful that there were so many people that actually go through that intersection throughout the day that there was multiple people who stopped. At the moment where I realized that my back was just in a bad shape, I thought that, I really just thought I was gonna die there. So I just like looked up at my broken windshield and I just prayed to my grandpa who passed away a few years ago and I just said, please, Papa, don't let me die in here alone. And when I said that, a bystander, literally as I said that, a bystander got my vehicle. They managed to crack open the back door and he climbed in and he quickly stabilized my c-spine he grabbed my head and pulled me into the back of the headrest and he just explained what his name was um that I was gonna be okay that help was on the way they've already called for help that to take a deep breath because I was screaming at this point like I was just in so much pain and I 
I can't express like how good it felt to have another person with me at that time. And never once, he never shouted, he never raised his voice. He never once act like he was startled or scared. And I found out after he was a retired firefighter. So he was really good in a uh-huh. crisis. And for the longest time before we actually got, before I knew what his name was or found out who he was, we just called him the angel. Because if I would have kept thrashing around in my vehicle the way I had been, logically I'm a nurse and I know my logical side knows better that I should have stayed still. But the shock and the adrenaline took over and I just thought I need to get out of that vehicle. When he stabilized my C-spine, he actually saved my life. When What does that mean to stabilize a C-spine? So he held my head and my neck and he like planted my shoulders so I couldn't move my neck or my shoulders at that point. And in doing that, it the your cervical spine starts at the base of your skull and kind of goes down to your thoracic spine. So that's the whole length of your neck. And that's where crucial ligaments are. And if you sever your spinal cord up at that C-spine level, you can become a quadriplegic. So oh, wow. I ended up actually breaking my neck in the accident. I broke my neck at C2. I broke, I had a complicated hangman's fracture. So in him doing that, it stabilized that fracture. If I would have continued moving around, I probably would have severed my spinal cord because I have broken bone pieces that are fragmented and touching along my spinal cord. So he, if he wouldn't have been in there, I would have done irreparable damage. I also dissected an artery in my neck in the crash. And if I would have kept moving around like that, I would have stroked out. There's like a 98, something crazy, like a 98% chance of the type of artery I had with the way it dissected of them, you suffering a massive stroke and I did it. So we just called him Angel John for the longest time because we, I just, he saved my life. So. Wow. And so was he the only no, car that there stopped? was, I had apparently stopped traffic on both ways for about half a mile, both sides. And there was so many people there apparently that were trying to help and I was so panicked that I had severely hurt this other person. I heard EMS outside my window talking about STARS Air Ambulance. So that's like our life flight where I'm from and that they needed clearance land on the highway. When I heard them talking about that, I'm thinking, oh my God, I've killed this person. I, I have hurt this other person. I just started asking John, oh my God, are they okay? How's that person? Are they all right? And he's like, Brianna, they are walking around. They are fine. They are fu- they're refusing care. They're talking. That man walking in front of your car right now, if you can see through the windshield, that's him. He's fine. They're here for you. Let's focus on you. And oh, I'm just wow. thinking, oh, my God. I, it's the shock. They see something I don't. <laughs> I'm yeah. panic to set in. <laughs> no. And when I was explaining, I guess my backpack had flown to the front of the vehicle. So John's seen my nursing badge. And he was like, you're a nurse. Help me help you triage you so when EMS comes they're able to help you better and we laughed I was like oh you're right I'm a nurse I should be much better at this and we kind of like laughed about it I was able to explain (laughs) to him he kept telling me to take a deep breath just slow my breathing down take a deep breath and I'm like I can't my ribs hurt my chest hurts I feel like there's a balloon in my chest and when I seen them I was touching the steering wheel I was like I think I might have punctured a lung just given where I was in relation to the steering column and I was like, and my back, my back and my pelvis hurt so bad. My leg was pushed up behind me. I pulled it down. I think I might've shattered my pelvis um, just by how much pain I'm in. I tried telling him that my belly was rigid. And when I told him about my back, he kind of pulled me in tighter toward and planted his elbows on my shoulder and held me very tightly. He was like, Brianna, do you feel your feet? And I'm just like, I guess I hadn't thought about my sensation at that point because I was still in so much shock. And so when I actually had to focus on it, I realized at that moment, I couldn't feel my legs. I had no feeling from about belly button down. And that was just, that's when the real panic set in. And I just started crying and he was like, no, no, no. Like they're here. Like 
do you hear that? Like, they're getting the jaws of life right now. They're going to start pulling you out of the car soon. And I'm like, yeah, give me the, you know, bleep out of this car. I'm, I'm done with being in here now. So <laughs> they passed oh on gosh. a blanket as well as they could through what was already broken in the um, side window. And they, I heard this little, like, ting, and the whole side door, like, the window just smashed, and it, like, rained over me. And I remember that not because of the glass, but because of the fresh air. It was like this fresh, cool morning air that just like hit me like this wall. And it just like was the most refreshing, refreshing breath I've ever took in my life. And there were so many when I could see how many people were out standing around and how many emergency crews were trying to like clear the scene and get me out of the car. And they told me, they quickly explained, they handed John a C co- um, like a collar, they put it on my neck. They explained that they were gonna try to extricate me out of the car now. So they started using the jaws of life and they were able to bend back, cut and bend back the door enough that they were able to free me. They couldn't open the full length of the way because of the wheels and everything I got pushed back. So there wasn't even enough space to pull it all the way off. And I guess when they seen me, how I was in the car, they kind of talked for a few minutes and they just said, you know what, Brianna, I'm, we're sorry. There's no easy way to do this. We just kind of have to pull you out now. And I'm like, I don't care how you do it. Pull me out. Yeah, just get me out. Yeah. Was it just the fire department that was there before the air ambulance came or did you have? Oh yeah. Like, I, had everyone. I think the cops were the first on scene. And then um, I was about three minutes away from the local hospital. So um, there was an ambulance there within minutes and same with a fire truck. So everyone was there within the first, like, th- I think within the first 10 minutes of the actual collision, there was already help on scene. And it took them about 20 to 25 minutes to actually extricate me out of the car and get me out. That was the time frame that I was pulled out to the back of the ambulance. When they actually got to pull me out of the car, I think I there was four EMS that were trying to pull and the fire department was trying to help get me out. As they actually pulled me out, I felt the clicking of my spine over the spinal board. And that's just when I knew that my back was broken in pieces. Like, I knew that there was some serious trauma down there. And when they pulled me out, I my body finally started to succumb to its injuries. And I developed something called spinal shock. The spinal cord swe- swelled up from the trauma. And I lost all feeling and sensation from... Um, chest down the I had no feeling to my extremities but just the only thing I could feel was that pain in my lower back I didn't even know at this time that my neck was broken my neck never hurt me it was that spot in my lower back so where I broke my back at I broke my neck at c2 my back at t1 t11 l1 and l2 and those lower spinal fractures were just, they were just the worst pain I've ever felt. If I don't think I could ever think of words to put that in. I felt like I was being cut in half. Like it was just excruciating. Oh I think it's so crazy that you were so aware of everything that was going on. Like you hear about accidents where it's like, I don't know what happened. I woke up in the hospital room or, or something like that. But to be able to, with such detail, remember the accident and And even if you were in shock or or, like, it's just incredible to me. And do you feel like that's part of maybe your training as a nurse that you were able to kind of stay present and really evaluate like your Somebody else asked me that before too. And I think that the last like few weeks working in our ER, I seen um, a few traumas come in and I don't know what it is, but in those moments I'm able to stay incredibly calm and just work through them. And I was just taught that at, a course I just like took and I think that that really helped me I also think that once I realized that my back was broken that I need to stay awake so I could tell someone that I couldn't feel stuff and um I don't know like that's 
so many people ask me that and I just, I, maybe it's my nursing skills. Maybe it was the pain. I don't know what was able to keep me awake and lucid through that. I think there's times now that I really wish I would have forgotten. I would have passed out because I have (laughs) crippling PTSD now from it. So they're absolutely Wow. And so were you yeah, so they, when they got me into the back of the EMS, well, when they started pulling me out of the car, there was a moment of like, just this like dead calm that fell over me, like everything kind of got quiet. And I just got like really warm. I felt like I was like, I felt like I was being hugged. This just like complete calm fell over me. And then a paramedic like reached in and like, gave me some hard sternal rubs and woke me up and started clapping. It was like, Brianna, you need to wake up. You need to stay awake. There's no, there's no time for you to pass out right now. And I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Man, I'm going to cry. That's crazy. There's like, there's no time for you to be passing out now. And so they put me in the back of the ambulance and they started cutting off my clothes. And I could see that the doors of the ambulance were open on the back of the highway. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, can you please close the doors or cover me up? I don't want my goodies on the local news. (laughs) Oh no! <laughs> Everyone in the ambulance was laughing, but then they, when they, I guess they got the heart monitor, everything on me, and they see what my blood pressure and what my heart rate was, and just how much pain I was in. They just said like, we cannot transfer her by ground ambulance. Stars needs to land on the highway. This needs to happen now. And so they called them in. I guess they were hovering around and trying to land at Saint Anne, but they called them to land right on the highway. They determined I was just too wow. unstable to even be transferred that three minutes to the ground by ground ambulance to the hospital so in um air ambulance and stars they came in right away and once they got there it was like bang 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 I was gone <laughs> they came in they explained what they were wow. doing where I was going and how it was going to happen and while they were doing that she my flight nurse Jenny she put an IV in on one side uh, the paramedics had already put one in but she started another one so I had like four different IVs going at once she started giving me fentanyl for the pain and my first dose, they had already put me in the back of the helicopter, and so they were ready to go. It took about 10 minutes to get from the scene of the crash to um, the local hospital, or to the hospital in Winnipeg that was able to um, treat my injuries. Wow. Oh my gosh. Were you able to tell them to, like, contact anybody for you, like your fiancé or your parents or somebody to so they are aware of oh, that what was happened the most terrifying thing because I had been talking to my I just texted my fiance before I had left work and I was texting one of the doctors before I had um, left like the parking lot and we were just joking about our shift and then my phone was still in like it was like I think smushed into like the cup holder part of my vehicle and I was able to reach it and mm-hmm. when I was I picked it up when I was still in the car with John and I was trying to call Ryan and he took the phone away from me and I'm like I need to call somebody somebody needs to know that this happened he was like everything will be okay like somebody I will give your phone and I will give all of your belongings to the police like it will be okay and I'm just thinking nobody knows I'm hurt now and I don't know anyone's number off by heart because I put everyone's number on my cell phone so yeah. yes Oh my gosh. I've thought about that a few times. Like there are so, I, I know three people's phone numbers and one of them might be pizza delivery. <laughs> Just to think. Yeah. yeah. If you needed to co- contact somebody without your phone, it's like, how do you do The it, only right? number that's ever like, I feel bad for my granny because she was the first one who got called because she's the only number that I remember by heart because it's the only number that's ever stayed the same. She's the only person I know with a landline. So it's <laughs> stayed the same. So when I finally got to the tr- hospital, oh. um, in Winnipeg, they called Ryan as many because he was, I guess, on my my emergency contact in my medical file. So they tried calling him, but he was on the work floor right. at um, at his job, and so he wasn't answering. My mom was working; she didn't answer, and my dad's number wasn't on file because he had just got a new cell phone number. 
And so after like an hour and they're like, Brianna, like we like, you're about to go for like a scan here now. And they're going to determine if you need surgery and we need someone to be here or someone to know. And I'm like, I know I don't want to be alone. Someone needs to know I'm hurt. And I was like, you need to call my granny. And they're like, what? I was like, you need to call my granny. But when you call her, you'd be very calm. You don't, I don't want you to kill her, give her a heart attack. She's, so they yeah. called her and she started the phone tree. And that's how everyone found out that I was in an accident. Oh, oh my gosh. God. That is so terrifying. I mean, that's the worst phone call that you could get, right? Is, is that someone that you love is hurt and you don't know what's going to happen? Like, that's just When so Ryan terrifying. finally got to his phone. So the funny thing is that he had seen the missed phone calls from my mom, my dad, and me. But he he immediately didn't call them back because he was on his way that day to pick up my engagement ring. And he thought that they were calling him to either congratulate him or talk to him about it because they knew that that was going to be the day he was picking it up. So he didn't immediately call them back. But then when he seen he had missed calls from Winnipeg numbers, my grandma, my aunt, he's like, well, something must be going on. And that's when he finally called my grandma and he, or picked up the phone my grandma. And he's like, did you see or hear that Brianna was in an accident? He was like, what? And someone sent him, I guess, already the pictures were online. He, they're like, is this Brianna's car? And they <gasps> sent him that picture of my car that was literally pushed in, in half, like an accordion. And that's how he found oh. I got into an accident. So. Oh, that's no. awful. So was, then did he leave to Yeah, like, he go left right work and immediately went. But when he was there, my mom and my dad and my stepmom, they were all trying to come there. And then they called Ryan. The HSC called them again and said, you can't actually come in here because of COVID. So because of COVID and the COVID restrictions, oh. I was alone from... Okay, so the crash was at like, I think at 8.23 in the morning. And Ryan wasn't allowed in the hospital till all my scans and that were done. And I was in a stabilized unit, and that was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then he finally was able to come see me. Oh, gosh. And so you didn't have surgery right away? Like, you went for so the scans? So in the scans, I started, like, they did, started a pound scan on me. And when I went in for the full body scan and it came out, there was a nurse waiting there. And she was just like, Brianna, I know that you can hear me. I need you not to talk not to move just know that I know that you can hear me but it's very important that you don't move right now and I'm thinking at this point oh god what did they find in there is there a twin in there that I didn't know about like what did they find (laughs) and um a bunch of them at that point came out and they put like blocks all the way around me so I knew then that I had a spinal injury because I knew they were stabilizing me for that and I'm like what's wrong and she's like remember no talking and they wheeled me to a unit where they explained then um, the extent of my injuries and what had happened and that they were going to allow Ryan up. So that's when Ryan got to come in and they explained that I had a complicated hangman's fracture and that because of the location of the injury, surgery just wasn't an option and because of how it was broken, it wasn't an option. And surgery really isn't even the best option at that point because they would have had to fuse my spine from like the base of my skull down my whole cervical spine. I would have never had any neck movement for the rest of my life. So I'm forever grateful they didn't do that um but and did you end up having no so I ended up breaking my ribs so I broke my ribs on my left-handed side I broke my neck c2 back t1 t11 l2 l1 l2 I broke my ribs on my left-handed side and I tore the ligaments in my left leg from it being pushed back behind me oh my god that is and what was the moment that you saw Ryan like do you remember that like I I would have just well, when they came in and they told yeah. me I broke my neck, I think I almost started laughing because I was like, well, I'm sorry, I broke what? I knew I knew uh. I broke my back already, but I just by the way it felt and when I felt the clicking of my lower spine, I, I knew it was shattered then. But 
um, when they told me I broke my neck, I was just like, oh my God. And because I had spinal shock, I thought I was a quadriplegic. I just, I was just hysterical. <laughs> I was literally hysterical. And I was just beside myself and Ryan's trying to comfort me and he tried to grab my hand and they told him, don't touch her. <laughs> like, don't touch anything. We need to stabilize oh. her before you can touch her or anything like that. And that's when they told him they were going to put the halo on. And so the halo is um, a stabilization device that is screwed directly into my skull. They froze the skin on the front and the back where the screws are placed in. And it took about seven of the doctors and ortho techs to roll me over and the doctor just told me you know what Brianna this is gonna hurt and I'm thinking well here we go and I didn't feel when they put it in my skin because you can freeze the skin but you can't freeze the bone so I felt when they drilled the screws into the first layer of my skull where it's braced into and I was just screaming at the top of my lungs begging for them to stop oh my why couldn't they have put you out like so they explained that they weren't they couldn't have sedated me already you're supposed to be putting a halo on when someone's sitting at 90 degrees but because of the burst fractures in my lower spine they couldn't it couldn't support any more weight of me sitting up so they were already doing it in a position that was unfavorable and I needed to be lucid enough that I still had muscle control over my shoulders to be able to help the stabilization process where the vest was being put on so the screws are um, attached to external bars that sit in like a vest that I wear so I needed to be lucid enough that I could help with the muscle control of that so by the time they got to the fourth screw Ryan is yelling at them to put me out like this is just ridiculous he's that I'm like in so much pain and I think they all agreed that like my body just couldn't take it anymore like my I think at one point when they took my blood pressure it was like 230 over 110 or something like I just my body was at its brink now and they decided to consciously date me and then I woke up on a trauma unit a few days later oh wow can I just ask when you were given that initial information about your neck being broken were you alone in the room like that this was before he was able to come and see you no, my mom and dad were never allowed to come see me in the hospital. Ryan was my only contact while I was in the hospital. And oh so when they initially told me, once they started uh, bracing me, I knew that something was wrong. But when they put me into the ortho trauma um, room, they just said, Brianna, like you've broken your neck at C2. It's very important that you don't move right now until we stabilize you. And I'm just like, what? And I also didn't know that they had contacted Ryan at this point. I didn't even know they had contacted, got a hold of my granny. So I still thought that I was all alone and nobody was coming or yeah. knew. And so that's just the stress I had in that time frame was just, I, I'll, I'll never be able to describe that. No wow. kidding. That's unbelievable. So you wake up a few days later. What Do you know what happened during those days? Was it just a matter of keeping you stabilized? And is it a matter of just letting your so body heal? I, to my impression, they had to keep sedating me because every time that I started to come out of it, I was in so much pain that like it would just like spike my like my heart rate and everything was just out of control. And they didn't. I also because I dissected that artery in my neck, so they also didn't want my blood pressure being as high as it was because that was unfavorable to that situation. So they wanted to make it as easy as it could. So they kind of just kept me on these high high doses of all this pain medication that kind of kept me very sleepy. I don't remember it and. Um, when I finally came out of that pain crisis, they kind of let me come to it, like out of it naturally. I was also under constant observation because my respirations were like going down to like six a minute and they're supposed to be up to like a normal respiration rate is anywhere from 12 to 20. And so I was way below normal and they were afraid that I was going to go into respiratory failure. So they just kept a close eye on me and they, lots of that was just trauma to like my chest wall and that as well. So 
my lungs were having a hard time keeping up with the trauma. My gosh. That is, I can't even imagine. So what happened when you woke up? Like, do you remember being like, whoa, guys, what I remember it? just like waking up and I seen Ryan there and I'm thinking, I did. I was like, kind of like, what the hell just happened? And I wasn't in immediate pain. But then I realized I went to go, I think I remember going to like lift my arm because I seen Ryan to go hold him. And then I realized I couldn't move my, my hands or my arms and nothing was moving. And then I just started panicking and a doctor came in and they explained to me again, the extent of my injuries that I would sustain something called spinal shock that they didn't believe at that time that my spinal cord had been injured, but that it had swelled up from all the trauma that it sustained. So as the days go on, that it would slowly start to reduce and I should start to regain feeling in my limbs. And sure enough, within two days of that, I was able to start moving my arms and that again. But with every move I had, it was like I was being shocked. My nerves were so damaged that I I literally felt like I was being electrocuted each time I moved my arms and like were so weak. So Ryan was like in charge of like phone calls, FaceTiming, holding my phone, answering everything, feeding me, um, changing me. I had constant care because I couldn't do anything for myself. And that was very frustrating. I went from being a very, very independent person, a nurse who did all the care to being on the other side of care. So it was it was really hard for me to get used to my new role in the healthcare system, so to speak. Did they offer you or did you have to do any physical therapy while oh, you yeah. were in so the hospital? So within the first two days after I woke up and started getting feelings in my limbs, they started to medicate me. So I stopped feeling that nerve pain. So the feeling never really came back to my lower mm-hmm. extremities. But even before I could walk or sit up or do anything, I had two physiotherapists in there like working my arms like a workout doll on the bed. And I asked you, babe. What the heck are you doing? And they're like, every four days that you don't use a muscle group or don't engage it, it starts to atrophy. So we're trying to eliminate that while you're on bed rest right now. And I'm just like, okay, well, you keep doing your, you keep doing you. I'll just lay here. Yeah. And so they started working out my muscle groups right away. I think it was about a week after the accident, my neurologist came in and said that they still didn't see any spinal cord damage and that there shouldn't be any reason in the future that I shouldn't make a full recovery but that the nerve damage um, is still unknown. And when I heard that, all I heard was should make a full recovery. So in my mind, that meant I was going for a walk. (laughs) So I made them sit me at the edge of the bed and they're like, okay, that's enough for today. And I'm like, oh no, we got to, we got to start walking here. We got to start working these legs. Half of that I think was the pain medication. I think I was a little bit, a little bit out of my comfort zone there. And I decided with the help of them and they got a walker and they got a belt and they held on to me and I was able to take two steps in the hospital that day. So gosh, wow. You mentioned that the day of the accident, Ryan was going to pick up an engagement ring for you. What was his plan to propose and did he end up proposing? So the original plan, now that I know it, we were supposed to, okay, so I'm like a Disney geek. I love Disney, but I've never been to Disney World. I've never done anything like that. So this winter before COVID happened, we were, me and his family we were all gonna go to Florida for two weeks and go to Disney World and I'm like a super geek and I love Titanic so much and he was gonna propose to me at the Titanic Museum on the staircase oh, <laughs> oh my gosh I would that would have been my dream was too. That's to amazing. My, that would have just been my dream proposal and so when I found that out I was just oh, oh. my whole dreams all in one thing COVID ruined it then I got a car accident oh. So when I was in the hospital, he made up a lie. He told me I had to go pick up. I have a, a special cell phone holder now, like an accessible like phone holder for me because my arms can't always hold it up. And he was like, oh, I'm going to go pick it up. 
And so he lied and he went to go pick up the ring and like this gift package that my family had made. So I also always dreamed like if it wasn't going to be at Titanic or something like that, I wanted like my family to be involved somehow in my proposal. And so I was, he didn't know that at the time, but I had a really rough night. I was just up all night. I was very, very sick. The pain medication made me very, very nauseous. And because I couldn't sit up to throw up, I started aspirating on my own vomit one night and I had to be deep suctioned and it was a whole ordeal and they thought they were going to have to send me to the ICU because I, I choked on my own vomit and it was just just yeah, a terrible oh night gosh. and so they finally just like dosed me up on a bunch of medication and I heard all this like clutter in my room and I'm thinking like oh my god it's just Ryan it's fine if I stay asleep like he doesn't mind and I stayed sleeping for a little bit and then all of a sudden I like woke up and there was like this poster of all of my family um with all these like get well wishes like set up in my room there was like pictures of my family up all over he had like all these gift baskets everyone had made for me and then he's wearing all these I first I smelled his cologne like his fancy cologne that I love so much I'm like what the heck is going on and I look and he was kneeling beside my bed and I remember saying get off the floor it's dirty (laughs) and he was oh sitting there gosh. with a ring. Oh, he said he had planned to do it in Florida, but that got canceled. He planned to do it here at home. Then I got into an accident and he just realized he's been constantly waiting for the perfect opportunity. And the perfect opportunity was never going to just happen. He said that he almost lost me once and he'll never go through something bad again. And he's waited long enough and probably too long. And that the only perfect thing there really is, is the love that he has for me. And he wasn't going to waste it trying to create a moment. And he wanted to marry me. And he, he said, like, I vow through sickness and health. I do. And I promise to do that now and forever. And I'm like, oh, and so then. Oh, my gosh. What an incredible oh, yeah. guy. And, like, I think there was always this, like, I think any woman feels like that. Like, you never know if your significant other is going to be able to step up <laughs> when, when, crisis happens mm-hmm. if yeah. you've never been through a true crisis before like we've been through like minor things here and there and like he's helped me through like I had a bunch of like immediate family members a few years ago who passed away unexpectedly and so he helped me through that and like it was just a very different feeling and then all of a sudden he was just there one day and he was like getting lessons from the healthcare aides how to give me a bed bath and like I was unable obviously to go to the bathroom and stuff like that so he was the one who actually volunteered to change me and he is learned how to comb my hair to put a bun in my hair he's youtube things he didn't know how and oh my, my full-time gosh. caregiver now and he does absolutely everything for me and i would have never asked for him to do something like that and i at one moment after early on in the accident this is before he proposed it was I think just before they put the halo on, I told him, I was like, you, uh, you, if this is too much, like, don't feel like you have to stay with me now. If I end up being a quaddie from this, or I end up like severely paralyzed from this, like, if this is too much, I don't expect you to stay and be my babysitter. Like, I don't want to ruin your life. I, you're too young for you to be a caretaker to a vegetable. And I think he got kind of mad that I ever mentioned that to him, that he should leave me. And then he he just stepped up in a way that I never thought or imagined he could. And I will forever be grateful for this time that he's given me. He took the time off work. He has learned right now to help redo flooring. He is not a handyman, so this was a a learning curve for him. But he is just, he's my nurse. He's my 
husband. He is my everything right now. So, oh my gosh. So, how long were you in the hospital? So, for? I left the hospital on September 23rd, and I was obviously there on August 7th. So, 37 days. I was in the hospital for 37 days. They had intended to keep me up until the end of November to like continue with my rehab. So, I stayed at HSC in the city for the first few weeks, and then I did the remainder at the Steinbach Hospital on the rehab floor. Um, and they wanted to keep me there until yeah. I could do stairs at my house because I have a few stairs to get in, about eight stairs to get up. And the doctor just kind of did like a hard love moment with the physiotherapist. And I'm like, you're not going to be able to do stairs. And I wouldn't expect to do stairs for another year. And then I was like, okay, well then send me home. I think I got very discouraged in the hospital and very down because like you couldn't have visitors. I couldn't go outside. You couldn't do anything. So like if I could have... Yeah had visitors and it wouldn't have been COVID like I would have stayed and been in their rehab program but I just couldn't stay there anymore I could not be in the hospital with that food or the lack of entertainment one more day wow and so what was going home like like you still didn't have use of your legs um you could you at then at that point like feed yourself or like move your yeah so I got really good um well, I got okay upper body strength. I was able to lift like a Gatorade bottle in one hand and help do transfers. Like if someone assisted me to and from the wheelchair and I, yeah, I had no use of my legs still. Um, and the ride home was so traumatic to actually go home. I need to be sedated and every car ride since I've had to be medically sedated. I just, I don't think I like realized that it was going to be a problem until one day Ryan was like, how are we ever going to get you in a car with this contraption? I with like my halo on and in that moment, I, I guess I'd never thought about having to go in a car again. And I instantly had this flashback of being in my car again. And it just like, it wasn't even like a panic attack. Like I was so scared that like death was imminent in that moment. Like it was like the worst feeling I've, oh. I've ever had. And like the day that I had to go home, the handy van service that tried to take me was like, we found out after that was like a non-functional service that they were like illegally operating. They didn't have tie straps for me. The front end was all smashed in. They had just been in an accident and it was like, it was like classic worst case scenario. If you could imagine your first car ride home and it being that tragic, it was just, it was the worst, but I got home and as like the months have gone on now, it's, I'm I think on the 17th so in two days now it'll be four months um to the day of my accident and I can lift five pounds in one arm I can lift three pounds in the other um and I can take about 10 steps with a walker and a bunch of leg braces on wow and how long does the halo have to stay oh my goodness that's just that's that's the ticket when I first woke up in the hospital I for some reason I thought I heard someone say four to six weeks and when I heard that I thought that was an eternity and when I told the doctor at the hospital, I'm like, oh, so six weeks is the max? And he's like, for what? And I'm like, well, this hat. And he started laughing. He's like, kid, I know you're on a lot of medication. He is like, but the halo is a three to six months kind of stay. And I'm like, what? So my last um, x-ray I had was unfortunate. It showed I had no bone healing yet or no calcification anywhere along any of the break lines yet. And there was still a floating piece of bone next to my spinal cord. And they canceled my last appointment because they didn't think it was going to be productive because the bones wouldn't have had any time to heal. So it takes me to January 4th is my next appointment. And I am just crossing every limb I have that that's it. That's that's the day it gets to come off. So because what is that like? Like, how do you wash your hair or 
put your hair up or because of the way the vest is sitting so my vest is also sitting kind of crooked because they did it while I was laying down so one of my arms can only reach like up to my ear on one side and the other arm can reach quite high so I can't comb my hair I don't do my hair Ryan does everything hair related he combs my hair he washes my hair nobody's gotta like comb it and wash it like around the bolts of the yeah so we have a special tilt wheelchair that tilts into the back of I have like a a tub shower combo in our bathroom so we tilt the chair just so my hair dangles in. I have quite long hair. And then we use a series of garbage bags and towels to kind of like keep my vest dry because it obviously can't be changed. It's like a cast. It will all stay on until it's ready to come off. And my head just kind of dangles in there. And he just kind of, yeah, washes around the device as best he could. Um, and for like combing my hair, he does everything. He's learned the art of a ponytail, which was the experience, let me tell you, watching him. <laughs> Tried to learn to comb my hair. But as the months have gone on now, I started suffering from traumatic hair loss from the stress that my body went under. So I'm actually losing my hair now. So that's one less thing he has to worry about now. Oh, no. Oh, Oh my gosh. I remember being in labor with my first baby and I asked my husband to put my hair in a ponytail. He literally couldn't do it. It was like, (laughs) I'm trying to explain how to twist the thing and put it back there. And the nurse was like, "Uh, I'll just do it for you. I don't understand what his what his arm was doing the first time. Like somehow he got his whole arm stuck in the ponytail with my hair in it. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and where do you sleep? My living room has been converted into a hospital room. It's where I bed bath. It's where I eat. It's where I sleep. I have a hospital bed in my living room, so I don't have. Cor- I like also tore my abdominal muscles in the accident from the seatbelt damage to my abdomen, and I so I. The halo weighs seven pounds, and I don't have the core strength to lay down or sit up by myself. So the hospital bed um, does all the work for me. So I sleep flat on my back with no pillows and just a blanket. Will you ju- will you slowly gain abdominal strength? We started doing with my good leg that I'm able to um, lift on. I ha- my right leg I still have function of. My left leg doesn't um, move like by will like I have like I have to manually move it I have no sensation I can feel deep deep pressure if I push really hard I can feel that I'm being touched but I have no sensation of pain or light touch so they take my good leg that I'm able to use and I can lift it a little bit so they started working on that but abdominal like most of my recovery now is kind of just a waiting game till the halo can come off because I wrecked lots of it is one thing can be fixed until the other thing gets fixed. And most of my problems rely around getting my neck fixed. So I also right. damaged the bones in my inner ear. I damaged my eyes. I have jaw damage and teeth damage and all this other stuff that needs to be fixed. But it can't until the halo oh comes gosh. off. So most of my other like walking and learning to walk again will be much easier once my equilibrium system is fixed. If they can fix it. Some of these yeah. things are not even sure if they're, they'll be able to fix or adjust. Um, some of it might be life-lasting. So it's just the best answer that I got for most of my injuries is only time will tell. So today I have a physiotherapist that comes to my house to work with me twice a week. And Ryan does my physio the next five days of the week. If I'm feeling really lazy, maybe I'll do a rest day. But it's we do a lot of physio. It's been a little bit slack because of the flooring. It's taken Ryan away from that. But I've still been doing like my arm exercise and stuff when he's not here because my I don't plan on wheeling down my wedding aisle. I don't plan on being in a wheelchair with a cane at my wedding. I want to walk with my dad down my aisle. I want to dance with my husband at my wedding, and I want to go back to my job. So there's no waiting on this for me. Wow, 
And so what kind of changes to your house had to be made? We had to put a stair lift in for those stairs in our entrance. We live in a bi-level home, so that had to be fixed. I had to, like, I have two different sets of wheelchairs now, so we had to make room for those and get rid of some stuff. Right now, they're redoing my flooring because I most of our house was carpeted except for the kitchen and the bathroom. And I just, I couldn't. I don't have the arm strength to propel myself in the wheelchair, and eventually I will have to be left at home alone because Ryan yeah. can't take off work indefinitely to be my caregiver. So I need my house to be more accessible. So they moved the island in our kitchen because I can't fit in the kitchen, not even to fit in the fridge with the wheelchairs. So they moved that to the side for now. They unbolted it from the floor. They redid the flooring there. Um, and they're just putting laminate now just so I have an easier time to move around. My The bathroom was made accessible upstairs. So there's like a different kind of toilet seat in that on there with different grab bars. Um, when I'm ready to finally use the shower again, they will uh, put like a special shower chair in there. I have lots of like um, accessibility equipment, like um, I have a lot of um, like different grab things to help me with like grabbing and reaching and like my table um, tilts and everything like that. So there's and lot my house is just like kind of a hot mess. There's <laughs> a little bit of stuff everywhere. Wow. Do you have your parents like coming over a lot to help you out as well? Oh, we're in a code red where I live right now. So we're not allowed to have anybody at our houses. You're not even allowed to have your family members at your house. Just before code red, when I finally got to come home, they were here every day. My mom slept here once with my little brother and like they never wanted to leave after. And they were here as much as they could. And they call me every day. Oh, that must be so hard for them to be to not be able to see you like physically right after such a traumatic accident, right? That must be so hard for, I mean, you and them. Oh, the first day I got to see my mom when I was in the hospital, I was, that was like three weeks after I was in the hospital already. I got moved to Steinbeck and they were allowing um, one external visitor besides like your significant other. So my mom got to come and when she got to come and see me for the first time, like I heard her voice down the hallway before I could even see her. And like, she oh. like ran into my room and oh. just like, she could like barely hug me because of like my vest and everything. But she just like, we were just like bawling. I think Gosh. no matter what, no matter how old you get, if you're hurt or sick, no matter what you want your mom, right? So Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you gotten any help for like mental health and like with psychologist or anything? Yeah. So that first time that Ryan, when he mentioned the going home stuff and I had that flashback, I knew then that PTSD needed to be addressed right away. And I, I think because I'm a nurse and stuff like that, I believe strongly in mental health and that mental health really correlates with your physical health. And that this was going to be too big for me to tackle and too big for Ryan to even work through with me. So there was a moment at um, when I was in Steinbeck, we, I finally got to go outside in like this little garden area. And I had just been sitting there and uh, this ambulance with the sirens just like went by on the street. And like it just like it like cripples me. I don't even know how to explain it. Like it's just like this, the sound of the sirens and like seeing that like just like. I was just so scared. I don't know if I was scared and I was so scared for the person that they were going to go save or if I was so scared because of what had just happened to me. And so I started seeing a therapist and they, they agreed that I had PTSD now from this and that we're working through it now. And I talked to her once a week and I've not seen her in person either yet because of COVID we do video chats, but eventually we're going to start doing um, exposure therapy and start like, so I'll go sit by a vehicle when I'm feeling ready. I'll oh, go sit in a vehicle. We'll start doing stuff like that. Wow. Oh my goodness. So what happened? I don't know if you can talk much about it, but 
to the other driver, was there any sort of charges laid or anything like that? So I know that they were um, pursuing criminal charges and road, like uh, highway charges. After talking with the lawyer, I know that they had spoke to about the idea of criminal charges, but that because the intent wasn't there, like he wasn't, it wasn't malice. He wasn't drunk. Right. He wasn't texting. He openly admitted he just made a callous mistake and didn't look on the highway and just gunned it and went for it. It took four seconds for him to make that decision to ruin my life. So that's nice. Wow. I never, I don't know what his name is. I don't know who he is. He never has tried to reach out or apologize. I'm sure that there, a lawyer has probably told him not to, but right, yeah. there will come a time next year, we'll, they'll set a court date and I will be able to tell my side of the story, hopefully, and hopefully something else can be done. I said early wow. on, that I didn't feel like I wanted this man to suffer the rest of his life. I didn't want him to go to jail. I didn't want to ruin his life for a four-second decision because that could have happened to anyone. I could have been playing on my radio. It's how yeah. long does it take for you to... Everyone does it. I know they say they don't, but if someone texts you and you quickly look at your phone or if you're trying yeah. to get your Bluetooth to work on your car or you're going to grab something in your purse, like that could be four seconds. And yes, that absolutely. could kill somebody. That could literally kill somebody. It is a miracle by any standard that I lived through what I lived through. And yeah. I thought to myself early on that I don't want this man to have to suffer for something that was literally a bad mistake. And yeah. as I have gone on now, I do strongly believe that he needs to think about what he did now. And when I heard that they might not even pursue criminal charges, that's when I kind of started feeling some type of way about it. I figure, yeah. you know what, it shouldn't have to ruin his life, but he also ruined mine. Yeah, absolutely. There's got to be some culpability, right, in, in the whole thing. Well, that's just it. I'm new. I'm a new grad. I was at the start of my career, newly engaged. I've not had kids yet. I've not even had time to live my life yet before yeah. my life has been, I don't want to say ruined, but well, it's been drastically yeah. changed. So, How do you stay positive or like how do you deal with like how are you not more angry I guess is my question <laughs> I, think, I think that is everyone's question they everybody <laughs> me that I just like I said when I first woke up I had teams of doctors and students coming to see me every day I was a marvel to these people that I was functional I have one of the top neurosurgeons um, in our province and in our country right now, who is my doctor. And when he came in, he used to run uh, neurotrauma in the States and he now works, um, at HSC. And when he came into the room, he said, you know what, kid, I just had to take over your case. He's like, I had to come see you for yourself. When they told me that you were talking and moving your limbs, he's like, I'm not going to lie. I didn't believe it. I had to come see it. So I took over your oh, case. Wow. And so I just became like this, like this person that everyone wanted to see and everyone needed to hear about because they just couldn't believe that I lived through what I lived through or that I was functional. I'm a high level, high functioning, complicated hangman fracture with fragmented pieces that are literally against my spinal cord with really no deficits to my upper, like upper limbs where I broke my back at T1. Like most people who break that, if you hurt your spinal cord at that level, you're on a vent for the rest of your life. I could have had a massive stroke. I didn't have a massive stroke. Like, so I'm, I'm a miracle by any standard. So I think of that all the time. And I had this patient a few months ago where I worked and she was very young. She passed away and she was there for palliative care. And I was her nurse for her entire stay and I just got to know what vibrant life that she had before and how much she had left to live in her and I think of that all the time throughout this that you know what I could have died but I didn't and I have so much more life to live no matter what it looks like now 
and at least I'm here. I have a chance to do something else with my life. Obviously, there's something, a bigger plan for me out there, and I'm here. And I think of her often in this because she would have given anything to be here, no matter what it looked like. So I think that helps. It's perspective. Lots of what I look at and lots of what I go through, it's about perspective. And I could sit here and focus on what I've lost in this accident. I could sit here and focus on what somebody else did to me, what four seconds of a life-changing decision looks like for me. Or I could think about what I have and what I've gained and how blessed I am and how fortunate I really am. Like... (laughs) this doesn't look like a fortunate situation. It doesn't sound like it, but it really is. I am, I'm here, I'm doing well, and I will get through this. So maybe it's a little bit of denial, but like, I'm still so convinced that coming years time, like I'm walking, I'm going to be fine. Like, I'm just so in that mindset that that's what's going to be there for me. So right now, this is just like a little bump in the road. There's been bad days, days where I just like can't fathom getting out of bed. And I'm in so much pain that I literally don't want to do anything. And then Ryan's like, what are our goals for today? What do you want to do today that doesn't involve physiotherapy or something? Even if it's just going to paint your nails, I'll help you do your nails. Do you want me to comb your hair differently? Let's do that. Let's look up a recipe that we've not tried and stuff like that. So if I've had a bad day or something where like he's very good at getting me out of it. And I have an amazing support system. I have Mm. this huge, crazy, big, loud, wonderful family who checks in on me daily. And they are just the foundation of who I am as a person. And they have been here every step of the way. And so anytime I've had a bad day, I have such an amazing team of people that I can turn and lean on when I'm having a bad day. And they just help me pick me right back up to feeling better. So that's amazing. How has your work been? Like who phoned them and was like, hey, he's gonna miss some work oh my goodness I that's just me my not even I asked the nurses at HSC I was like can you just call my work and they're like Brianna we're not calling your work let's (laughs) find someone at at home that can help you and so when Ryan got to me the first thing I said to it was hello after he got yelled at not to touch my hands to touch me I'm like you need to tell my work I'm gonna miss my shifts for the next week oh no (laughs) like did you have a shift the next day yeah have they obviously they're supportive but like can you get like long-term disability or like so where I'm from we right now I'm under my um like my insurance um my highway insurance I pay something called MPI so they're right now covering for the duration until they think that I will exceed them and then I will go on to long-term disability from my work does anything happen with the other driver's insurance like did they have to pay for any of your medical um bills or anything like that I mean I know there's not medical but you know your equipment or adjustments that you've had to make in your house no so how that works where I'm from so we have no fault insurance but it's probably some of the worst no fault insurance that there ever was like there's they cover just to restore functionality of life or uh, the bare minimum so every piece of equipment that I've had in my home we've had to fight for I've had to beg for I've had to appeal for it's very hard to go by and the other driver I like like I said I will never have to deal with him again he might he'll have demerits on his license now he'll probably pay a higher price to get his license now there's really no consequence to him right now and it all kind of felt falls on me and everyone always asks oh you'll like be rich from this you'll have such a large compensation well in Manitoba we actually don't do large compensations for any kind of damage or suffering they don't pay for pain and suffering they don't pay for traumatic events they don't pay for anything I am kind of just left with the effects of this even to get my flooring done we had to 
get um, my physiotherapist, my occupational therapist, and a doctor to write a note saying why that this is beneficial to be put into my house. So we have to pay for all the costs up front and kind of just appeal like the decision from there and see what is approved. That is wild. Had you been on TikTok before your accident or did you find TikTok after your accident? Oh no, I got bored in quarantine and I seen TikToks <laughs> on Facebook and I was like, what is this? And then I, it's like this enchanting addictive world. Once you're on there and you start watching those yes. videos, you are in those videos for hours. The last time I just talked to my therapist, she says that she just seen this change in like, like my attitude and everything. And she's like, are you doing anything different? I'm like, actually, I just shared my story on TikTok. And now I've had this huge outpour of messages from people who have been in similar situations. I have been able to learn so much from people who've been in Halos. Like being in Halo where I'm from is incredibly rare. Um, This last year, I was the first in the last two years, they saw one other Halo that got sent out same day and I was the only one who stayed. So that's why everyone wanted to see me. So it's very rare where I'm from to be in a Halo. So all these people who have been in Halos, who have had bad accidents, who are suffering from PTSD themselves, they've reached out and like, there's this little hidden community there where like, they've just helped me immensely. And I found the more that I was able to open up and tell people my story, it just, it helped me in a way that I never thought that was going to be able to help me. And it, I think it's helped other people too, like seeing my side and my perspective and knowing that other people find like inspiration from what I'm doing. Like every day I wake up to like a hundred messages of people just like wishing me well, or that they saw TikTok and seen my positivity and it's helped them get through a bad time in their day. And like knowing that wow. I'm helping others through this time, I think is what's helping me the most. That's what that's what can heal you, right? And that's kind of how we started this podcast too, to share and also hear these other stories from people who have been through, I mean, the worst of the worst, but are still here and they're still pushing and they're still learning and they're helping other people. I mean, that's totally our goal. Oh my gosh. Well, Brie, we're so thankful that you felt comfortable sharing your story with us. Your positivity is just so inspiring. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for reaching out to me. Well, we'll let you get on with your evening, but thank you and thank Ryan for helping you get all set up and and for being amazing yeah, in just, general. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that just man deserves the world. He's a saint. Absolutely. I mean, wow, incredible. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Have a good night. You too. Take thank care. You. Bye. Bye. Michelle. Hey, Carling. I <laughs> holy smokes. Bree. Oh my gosh. I know we said it already, but like, thank you for being on this episode. Seriously. And telling your story and we'll post some extra pictures on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and check out her TikTok. Yeah. We'll put a link to her TikTok because she talks a lot about the experience yeah. and um, she's now since this episode was interviewed, uh, since we did the interview, she's had her halo taken off. Yeah. And so what's funny I just so like your phrasing of that was really weird. Oh, <laughs> she's gotten her halo taken off. Yes. And yeah, wild. She's amazing. Yeah. So guys, check us out everywhere on social media. If you're on Instagram, I did not sign up for this dot podcast. We're on Facebook. We have a Facebook group mm-hmm. um, where we talk about the episodes and different things going on in our lives. And then we already said it once, but we'll say it again. <laughs> Join us on the Patreon. Yeah. And you know what, guys? Have a good week. Do it. Have a good week. Okay. Let's get out of here. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs)